This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. If you're new to our church, um, you won't know this, but you should. Uh, We... Uh, take the Bible seriously. Uh, we're what you would call a Bible-believing church, evangelical church, and it is our pretty much our common practice to just preach what we would call expositional um, type of preaching. And by expositional, I mean we, we usually take either large sections or entire books of the Bible and preach through them, uh, you know, book by or uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse type of preaching. And the reason I feel like Sometimes I just want to give insight to this for why we do this. Um, there's a couple reasons. There's a number of reasons why we do this, and this isn't the only way to preach. By the way, I'm not saying we've got it all figured out. You know, we're the church; we know what, what's going on. I mean, there are certainly times when when even we will preach topical sermons, subject kind of oriented sermons or series, that kind of stuff. And but but kind of some of the the big meaty reasons that we do this is one is that it, it just keeps us honest um, with kind of preaching like if, if, if I were to kind of wake up on Monday morning you know every week and just be like you know like what do I want to preach and you know what do, what do they need to hear uh, that would be it could get incredibly um, biased and slanted and kind of soapboxy preaching and so it just kind of keeps me honest one of one of the greatest things I love about it is I just know what's coming next um, I wake up Monday morning just uh, ready you know to engage what whatever's next for us as a church and so there's there's that kind of honesty component of it and then the other component is it's it keeps us balanced um, when you when you preach like this we look at uh, large sections of the scripture and it gives us a, a balanced diet and so we even if we get to these sections where it's like, gosh, I don't, you know, I don't really want to preach on that, you know, if we want to, you know, I don't know, talk about money or sexuality or, you know, whatever the topic is that's kind of being addressed in the, in the, in the passage, it, it kind of keeps us balanced. And so you all get a balanced diet. Um, I say all that uh, because we're right in the middle of preaching a, a pretty lengthy book. It's called Acts, and so if you've if you've brought a Bible with you and you'd like to open that, you can you can do that now. It's in the New Testament. Uh, it's the fifth book in the New Testament, so we've got four gospel accounts: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, uh, which is kind of a, a volume two of a two-volume set. This is the follow-up of Luke's gospel, and so we have this book, and it's it's 28 chapters in our in our English Bibles. Of course, that's an English um, device that we've added to it, but it's 28 chapters, which is pretty long for a New Testament uh, book, and we're in chapter 10 this morning, so approaching the halfway-ish mark, and this passage is a bit of a um, kind of a high water mark in the book. There's there's something that's going to happen in today's passage that's extremely important uh, for um, the, the local church as it expands here uh, as it's recorded in the book of Acts. So before I read it, um, there's a I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, you know, driving around town, running, that kind of stuff. And w- one of the podcasts that I kind of check out once in a while is called This American Life. Uh, it's an NPR out of Chicago. You know, it's broadcasted there, This American Life. And one of the episodes a while back, I don't re- even remember the, the fullness of the episode, but I jotted down this little line. Um, the, the episode was about um, a, a business. I think it was a comic and novelty type of store. 
um, for in, in Chicago, and it was owned by by an African uh, an African American man, and he was talking about how successful his business is. And he, he had this little statement um, that, that I just jotted down in one of my notebooks. Again, it just kind of caught my attention. And he said, I am the wildest dream of my descendants. And what he meant by that was, you know, being a successful um, business, black business owner um, in America uh, in, in 2000, whatever year this was recorded, in the 21st century, was the wildest dream um, for his descendants, those with African descent. And I was thinking about, you know, this passage, and I was thinking about you this week, and and one of the things I love about our expression of the local church is is we are very ethnically diverse, um, all things considered, in, in the city that we live in. And so the fact that right now gathered in this park are people uh, of African descent and Hispanic descent and all variations of, you know, Anglo descent and Native American descent and and I'm sh- maybe I'm, you know, we've got Asian descent all represented right here right now. And the fact that we are worshiping Jesus who is the God of the Jews. Right? He is, he's, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like that, that God long ago, centuries ago, made a promise to one man. He said, I'm going to bless you and make a great nation out of you. We are the wildest dream of our descendants. That they would look on us and see us with open scriptures, worshiping the one true and living God, in what is now known as the United States of America, is a wild thing. And Acts chapter 10 tells us why that is so wild. I'm going to read the the whole chapter. Uh, It's 48 verses. It's going to take a few minutes. Um, It's it's lengthy, but it's a narrative, so you should be able to follow along. Uh, We're not going to be able to kind of dissect every aspect of the narrative for time's sake. So I would ask you just to give your best attention to the flow of what's going on. And of course, I'm going to make reference to it in a way that I hope is uh, intelligible to you. But let let me begin by reading uh, chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it it is printed in the the bulletin, or uh, you can can just uh, listen along. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, that's three o'clock, of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. 
Now the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted it up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging by the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
to him all the prophets bear witnesses that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, and then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then he asked them to remain for some days. This is the reading of the Word of God. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for the recorded written Word. It is inspired, inerrant, infallible. But Lord, without your help, we cannot understand it. Would you please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Music uh, is a very important um, means of expressing uh, meaning and value for people. Uh, it's been particularly um, important and valued uh, in, in black culture. Uh, so music is, is very important, and, and I, don't get, I don't get all of my uh, theological insights uh, from the, the cultural musicians of the day, but I do get some of them. Uh, in 2016, uh, in one of Beyonce's albums, if you don't know Beyonce, I don't know, I don't know where you've been living, uh, but Beyonce uh, has this album, and, and a song, it's pretty popular, kind of popped up on my Spotify a while back. Uh, I do not commend the whole song to your ears. To your little fragile ears, it's 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 got some 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 content. So don't play that one on the way home from church, um, friends. Uh, but it's called Formation, and the song is talking about Beyonce and kind of her roots and her heritage and where she came from and her parents. What, you know, her, her dad's from Alabama and her mom's from Louisiana, and she kind of weaves all that into the song about what's formed her, who she is as a person. And there's this one little line in there. It's kind of, it's almost a throwaway line. Like it's not like the highlight of the whole song, but there's this one little line in there, and and she says, "I've got hot sauce in my bag." Uh, I never thought I'd say that from the pulpit. I've got hot sauce in my bag, um, she says. And and I got to thinking, you know, where that comes from. And I actually ran across a blog that kind of addressed this from a from a from a black cultural perspective. And for those of you um, that don't know, um, either because you're not black or you're just unfamiliar with things, I've got hot sauce in my bag has deep, deep cultural wounds um, to it. Um, for, and some of you lived during, you know, kind of Jim, Jim Crow South segregation days. Um, but it, there, were, there were kind of unspoken etiquette um, in, in that cultural day. And one of the things in segregated America was that, um, th that black people could certainly get food from establishments. They could, they could order food. They certainly could cook food. Um, but but when, they, when they went to get food, they were, there were these unspoken etiquettes where they were not given um, silverware to eat with, uh, they were not getting like any of the cutlery, any of the you know any of the things that come with it, including condiments. 
like hot sauce. So Beyonce's statement is not just, you know, a comment about her, you know, flavor profiles that she wants hot sauce on her food. What she's saying is that we carry hot sauce in our bags uh, because there are unspoken rules of etiquette around food in our heritage. Namely, we were treated differently, and that formed me. Uh, bring it even a little closer to home, at least for me. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, we've, got, we've got three children. Uh, two of them um, have strikingly good, handsome value. You know, just they, they look like their dad a lot. They got a lot of their athletic ability, I think, from him. But, but they, were, they were adopted. They came into our family through adoption. And so, um, and, and they're, they're young, black, African-American boys. And, um, and one of the things I'm learning as, as a mostly white, I've got a little brown in me, but mostly white man raising two young black men in America is they will operate their lives with different rules of etiquette. And I'm having to learn that right now, particularly because in our culture, you know, the narrative and the noise around race is very loud right now, and rightfully so. And so what I'm doing as, as, a, as a white man trying to raise two young black men is to try to teach them these unspoken rules of etiquette, like how to behave in a store, or what happens when you're pulled over by police or how to care for your hair and your skin. Things that, that I've never had to deal with my life that they certainly will have to deal with in their life. Acts chapter 10 addresses the question of what happens when your culture is not the mainstream culture. What happens when you are the minority and not the majority? And what God does in Acts chapter 10 is he shows us how the gospel of Jesus Christ destroys the barriers that would divide people. What Acts chapter 10 does is it shows us how the king, and his name is Jesus, is removing barriers in his kingdom. Uh, we're going to be using the language of the kingdom a lot in the book of Acts. If you've been here the past two weeks, it's, it's kind of been kind of some of the thematic stuff that I'm really trying to massage into these passages with you. Acts chapter 10 um, addresses really two primary characters. One is Peter a law-abiding, command-following, ethnically Jewish man. And then it follows the, the kind of the streamline of another man, and his name is Cornelius, a devout, God-fearing, generous Roman soldier. Two entirely different people. And what God is doing is he's, he's showing us the barriers that come between people and how uniquely and only the gospel of Jesus Christ can marry those two, can remove barriers in a way that people would be 
in union with each other. Here's the big idea I want to communicate to you this morning. Um, I, I just want to put a couple categories on it. The big idea is that only the gospel has the, both the potential to inflate inferiority and deflate superiority. Okay, so inferiority is Cornelius. His ethnic association was inferior at the time. Superiority was Peter. He was a law-abiding Jewish religious zealot. So let's look at those kind of in turn. We'll, we'll look at inferiority first. Let's, let's look at how the gospel, um, it inflates inferiority. Here's what we know about Cornelius. Um, he was a Gentile, uh, meaning he was, he was not Jewish. So anybody who was not ethnically and ritually Jewish was considered an outsider. He's a Gentile. Um, he's introduced to us as a, centur a centurion, which would have been, it's pretty, he's kind of a middle-ranking officer. He would have had 100 soldiers underneath him. Uh, he wasn't, he, he would have been kind of an enlisted guy who worked his way up through the ranks. Um, it, the, the text makes it clear that he was, he was a devout, God-fearing man, meaning um, he, he worshipped the one true and living God of the Bible, Yahweh, but he didn't have all of the, the um, ethnic rituals. He wasn't a circumcised man. He wouldn't have prescribed to their dietary restrictions. Um, and so he was, he was deemed a God-fearing, um, devout, generous person. And what we see is um, this man, he receives a vision. So there's two visions in this. And, and here's the thing. Um, these audible... Um, even visible visions that are described in the Bible, we're pretty much one of the only cultures that have trouble with that. Like our, our culture, we want to explain it away, or it certainly couldn't have been. They were hallucinating. Like, like most cultures outside of you know 21st century America um, are okay with the supernatural. So let's just we'll just read the text like it is. It, it was supernatural. God gives these two visions: one to Cornelius, one to Peter. And the vision to Cornelius is very simple. And the vision is, go find Peter. Peter's got some information for you. He's got some news that needs to be relayed to you. Go find Peter. So Cornelius gets this message. And you can see underneath Cornelius's posture towards when Peter arrives, how he feels inferior. So Peter comes, if you remember the narrative, uh, and, and Cornelius falls at his feet and worships him. He, he, he postures himself in a way that says, you are, you're better than I am. You deserve you know, praise and adulation and all the things. And Peter says, no, I'm just a man. Get up. But, but underneath, like underneath Cornelius' response are kind of these thick layers of shame and guilt and fear and uncertainty and this lack of confidence. Um... And and I and I think it's tied um, to what I would what I would call racial trauma. And and I don't use that lightly. Like it can be traumatic uh, to be a disenfra disenfranchised minority. Like it does something to your soul when you continually feel less than. And here's the cure. 
that the gospel offers someone like Cornelius and maybe someone like you. The cure um, to deep-seated shame and guilt and fear about who you are inherently is that you're honored and welcomed. And what, what God begins to do in Cornelius' life is to elevate him to a place at a table, which is the most intimate place you could be, at a table with food, with other people, to a place that says you are honored and you are welcome, just as much as anyone else. And so that you, you, you get this sense that the gospel is breathing, kind of inflating, elevating um, position of a person. And what the gospel never does is it never does that at the expense of losing who he is culturally or racially or ethnically. So in other words, what the gospel is, is calling Cornelius to be is who he actually is. It's calling him to unity with himself, not uniformity with kind of the guidelines or the structures or, or the policies. And, and that's what the vision of Peter is going to kind of show us. But one of the beautiful things about the Christian gospel is that it elevates the person in such a way that you are honored and welcomed as you are. Jesus is not asking you to like come in and just be washed over with like the cultural norms of Christianity. There's a, there was a book written um, a number of years ago. Uh, it's called The Next Christendom by a guy named Philip Jenkins. I read it in college. And he was describing in this book um, what a Christian, you know, a majority Christian looks like in the 21st century. And, and I think particularly me, like as a 21st century American, I'm just thinking it kind of looks like us. And the way he described it in the book was, a Christian today looks like a dark-skinned female carrying a basket on her head and walking down a dirt road barefoot. Like, that is who the kingdom of God is for. It's also for, you know, SUV-driving, well-clothed Americans. But, but I, need you, I need you to begin to broaden your perspective on God's kingdom, because that's what Acts 10 is asking you to do. We are the wildest dreams of our descendants. But, but perhaps the larger thing that Acts 10 is doing is not just inflating inferiority, not just bringing honor and welcome to people, it's doing that. But what it's doing is it's deflating superiority in Peter. Um, again, Peter, his resume... Um, law-abiding Jew um, who has a track record of saying no to Jesus, right? Like, if you're familiar with Peter in, in the, the gospel accounts, he's, he's infamous for the, the three times denial of Jesus. Like, no, I don't know him. I'm not familiar with him. I don't run with him. Um, here Jesus um, gives him a vision, and it's the, the vision is these, this great descending sheet, a sheet falling from heaven, it happens three times, and in this sheet are all kinds of animals, uh, both those that would be 
um, lawfully clean to eat and unclean to eat for the Jewish law-abiding citizen. So you would have had, you know, I mean, just run the gamut. We're, we're not told what they are. We're told they're, you know, they're, they're, they're crawling creatures, they're flying creatures. There's, there's all kinds of things. But among those would have been things like us, and, and they necessarily wouldn't have loved these things like we do. But culturally, let me just give you some context, like shrimp and bacon, and bacon wrap shrimp. If you've ever had that, that's a good one. Um, but like all of these things, those would have been unclean items in the sheet along with clean items that they would have eaten. And what Peter says is, he says, no way. He tells Jesus, no. Like, I don't know. I would have been compelled to like, yes, sir, Jesus. Like, okay. Um, but he's, he's really, his, his, his track record is telling Jesus no. But the vision three times, threefold is, listen, Here's the, here's the essence of the vision for Peter. Do not call unclean what I have called clean. And the vision has less to do with food and more to do with people. Because the food um, was the barrier, but the people was the, kind of the end game for it. I mean, you, you get this. Even, you know, most of us aren't abiding by the Old Testament dietary restrictions, but you get how food can be a barrier. I mean, some of you put it on yourselves. You know, you're doing like keto or Whole30 Whole or paleo or, you know, whatever's trending this week. Like, you go to a friend's house to eat, and you've put yourself in some sort of restrictive diet. It complicates things, right? Like, you've got to kind of like, fend through what's being offered or you just kind of find the things that work for you or, you know, if you have an allergy or, you know, like you understand the barrier. And what God's doing here is he's saying table fellowship is where unity happens and food has become problematic. So I'm taking that component out of the equation so that you can be in unity with people. You can have a meal and Peter, you know, he's, he's flabbergasted. You know, he's, his, his feet are kind of taken out from him. He's like, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. Why would I start doing that now? And, and, and he, begins, um, he begins to remove these barriers to fellowship between people. And one of the things that Peter's going to struggle with, and we're, we're going to see it pop back up here in a few chapters, is Peter has a hard time getting his hands around a clean person like himself, rule-following, church-attending, you know, good citizen, um, you know, all those things that, that some of us feel. How, how could someone like him associate with someone like Cornelius? Like, how could I be in unity with, with someone that does stuff like that? Um, it actually, verse 28, Peter says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. That word unlawful, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't outside, it wasn't in disagreement with God's law. Jews knew that Gentiles would be coming in. Uh, the Old Testament through and through, the thread throughout is that, the God, that, 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 that God would give salvation to the nations. But what, what, what Peter didn't quite understand 
is that in order to come into the kingdom, in order to belong to God, in order to worship the one true and living God, it would require nothing besides faith. Peter thought Cornelius should become a Jew first. Go through the rituals. So it wasn't, on, it wasn't illegal, it wasn't against God's command to associate with the gentle. What it was, it was taboo. It was frowned upon. And so let me, let me just um, translate a little bit of that into our vernacular. Because here's, we do what Peter does. We add things to Jesus all the time. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. You must believe in Jesus plus adhere to a certain lifestyle. So, smoking cigarettes, or getting tattoos, or hanging out in certain types of establishments, taboo. It's frowned upon. Or, for those of us parenting, if you're not, uh, you must believe in Jesus and homeschool. Or you must believe in Jesus and fill in the blank on your parenting style. You know, that's what Christians do. You must believe in Jesus um, and um, vote a certain direction, right? It's got a, you got a, you know, political party. How could you be a Christian and not be this one? Uh, you've got to be a Christian, you, you know, to be a Christian, you've you, you got to love Jesus and kind of handle your finances appropriately. Like, have you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? If, you've never, if you're not doing that, like, I don't know. You know, and then the list goes on. <clears throat> what Peter's doing is, is he's having a hard time removing the barrier that the way into the kingdom is Jesus alone. And when you come into the kingdom, everything about your life changes in one way, but it doesn't necessarily mean you just discard everything about your life. You still are who you are. And the gospel cure for people who feel superior, and superiority means, I mean, it means you're looking down on people. It means you're snubbing people because they don't live like you live. And they don't look like you look. And they don't vote like you vote. And they don't shop like you shop. And they don't value their career like you value your career. And superiority is deflated when the gospel tells you this. You brought nothing to the table. What, what's happening to Peter here? Um, when he preaches the gospel in verses 34 to 43, and then the Holy Spirit falls on those type of people, right? Like those ones that you never thought it would come to. Um, the, the gospel begins to produce humility and selflessness. And it begins to bend your will in a way that says, I'm no better than anybody else. 
not what my hands have done, but what you have done. Um, let me, let me kind of close with a few thoughts here. Uh, I, I've been using this kingdom language a lot. I'm going to kind of tie into that a little bit here. The, f- the first thing, I believe it's the first thing that is recorded in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, that Jesus says, after the new heavens and the new heaven, or the new heavens and the new earth have opened, um, <clears throat> is that he says, behold, I'm making all things new. And one of the kind of the working premises that, uh, that I'm holding, and I want you to hold this with me throughout this series, is that the kingdom of God is already here, and it's not yet here. And what I mean by that is the fullness and the consummation of the coming of God's kingdom obviously is not here in its fullness yet, but there is that reality that has been taken from the future and brought into our already. We are in the kingdom of God if you belong to Jesus by faith alone right now. And and the fact that he is making all things new, and by that he means I am uniting all things and all people to myself. You know, the way Romans 8 talks about creation, it groans with longing for redemption. As, as we witness, and I'm not like being alarmist Armageddon here, but like as we witness natural disasters occur, that is creation crying out for groaning to be united with its maker again. Do you remember what Jesus said um, in his closing prayer? It's recorded in John chapter 17. He could have prayed all kinds of different things. The thing he said, one of the main things he said in that prayer was, Father, I pray that they would become one like you and I are one. Now let's not explain that away. What Jesus is saying is that already now, as the kingdom of God falls on you now, you would become one with people, just like the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus, is one with his Father. And you cannot do that if barriers remain. And the barriers God is removing are certainly cultural, but the primary barrier that God has removed in order to make you capable of uniting with people is the barrier of your sin. And the barrier of your sin was pinned to a tree by Roman soldiers as they were executing the Son of God on your behalf. And the thing you need most in order for all things to be made new is to be in union with that God. Let me close with, I'm going to leave you with one last little life kind of illustration and maybe it'll stick with you and maybe you'll forget about it. When you go to Costco, if, if you have a Costco membership or any store, whatever, we go to Costco. <clears throat> and when you're, when you're leaving Costco, you know, um, you have to do the walk of shame. You familiar with this walk of shame? It's where they've got all the vendors 
um, out, um, you know, like air conditioning, the water softener guy, solar panels, all the things. Well, I call it the walk of shame because when I'm leaving, I, I, you know, I don't know if I need soft water. Uh, I have no idea if my air conditioner is going to break, but I don't, I don't want what you're selling. Um, but there's one vendor um, at, at, uh, at Costco that I, that I am not afraid of. And it's, it's the solar panels vendor. And the reason I'm not afraid of them is because I already have solar. Um, and in fact, it's kind of, it's this fun game. Um, when I'm going down the, kind of the hall of shame there, I find the solar person and I lock eyes with them and I let them ask me if they're, if I'm interested in solar and I look at them and I smile and I'm so confident and I look at them and I say, I already have solar. Have a great day. It's like, it's the best feeling ever. Peter preaches the gospel, and he says, everyone who believes in the name of Jesus has forgiveness of sins. The great barrier between you and your maker has already been removed, and all that is requisite of you, all the fitness that is required of you, is to feel your need for him, to look him in his eyes, and to ask him for what he's already given you. Let's pray and ask that God would give us union with himself and with each other because of the barriers that Jesus removed for us. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, so many of us struggle uh, with both feeling superior to other people and inferior to others. Lord, we are arrogant, proud, self-righteous people oh so often. And other times, Lord, we are shameful, guilty, uh, fear-driven people who just have no confidence. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would both inflate and deflate us today with the gospel, that you would show us what you showed Peter, that you're removing all barriers with each other, so that you can make all things new, beginning with us. Would you do that work in the life of our church? In this small expression of believers, Lord, remove barriers. Give us union with yourself and with each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Sermon Podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.